Welcome to a new episode of Riada, a Wilson Center podcast about entrepreneurship in the MENA region. I'm Marissa Khurma, director of the Middle East program at the Wilson Center, and Ahmad Shawa is my co-host from Howdy Arabia, a, a podcast from Aman Jordan. This month, we will be zooming into the world of the arts and film, a budding sector across the MENA region. Various initiatives not only invested in attracting global movies to be filmed in the region, but also invested in MENA's talent to unleash their potential through the arts. And today we kick off this series with one of Jordan's pioneering filmmakers, who is Jordanian-American, based in LA, Amin Matalka. He was born in Jordan, raised in the US. He is a Sundance winning writer and director, whose first feature, Captain Abu Ra'id, won the Sundance World Cinema Audience Award in 2008. And it was the first Oscar submission from Jordan. He's directed other films since Captain Abu Ra'id, including the Disney soccer drama, The United. I mean, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, and thanks for your time. Uh, great to be here. Good to see you guys again. And and uh, thanks for having me. I'm uh, uh, excited to, to, to discuss whatever you want to talk about. Great. So I guess our first question is always about the origin story. How did you decide that filmmaking is going to be uh, the books for you? Well, um, I, I mean, I grew up, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Jordan until I was 13. And then we immigrated to the U.S., um, lived in the Midwest in Ohio. Um, uh, ever since I was a kid, you know, I loved movies. We would always go to the cinema, the Concord, back in the, the Philadelphia, the cinemas in Amman. You know, we would see like movies like a year after they were released, they'd come to Jordan. And my dad would always come home with uh, the video cassettes. Of course, they were always bootleg shops in Amman. But, you know, I remember just growing up, growing up around movies. And when we immigrated to the U.S., we lived right next to the movie theater in the first year. So I saw everything that came out. And just, I think maybe out of my loneliness and being in the U.S., I resorted to movies, became my best friend. Uh, I was very antisocial in my high school days, but I just loved being in in my imaginary world with the influence of Steven Spielberg and Fred Hitchcock and Charlie Chaplin and, you know, um, Scorsese, all those movies. So I always wanted to make movies. Um but of course, conventional uh, wisdom of the Middle East, even if you're in the U.S., is go the safe route. And so after my first year in college in theater, because they had scrapped the film department out of Ohio State, um, um, I went into business school and just kind of took the safe route. And from Ohio State, I went into the telecom sector. I worked, lived in a business suit for the next five years while somehow inside me, this dream of making movies was like this volcanic desire about to explode. <laughs> and after doing well in that sector, I was like, well, I, I, I can't see myself dying like this. My soul was dying. I wanted to make movies so badly. And thanks to Apple, the, the iMac had come out. This is around 2001, 2000, no, 2002. I got my iMac. And I started editing and shooting things digitally. And suddenly I was like this, this volcanic desire was uh, 
enabling me to to experiment with making films and I started experimenting with these um the footage of ahead of our family and I was like well nothing's stopping me of of like why am I not doing what I'm supposed to be doing so I just left everything behind basically in Ohio and except my dogs I moved to LA with my dogs and started from scratch and basically bought a a a a nice digital camera an XL1 at the time a Canon and I started making one short film a month, meeting people in coffee shops, writing constantly, writing, writing, writing. And two years later, just finding my own voice as what, what are the kinds of films and stories that interest me. And after two years, I uh, applied to the American Film Institute. And I had kept a day job in the telecom world during that time just to survive in California. But basically, um, I, I, when I got the phone call from the AFI, the American Film Institute, that I, I was accepted, I quit my day job and just uh, committed my life to making movies. And since then, it's just been this journey of ups and downs of life, and life throws curveballs at you. But but it's um, you know financially, it's not as secure as you would you know in the business world. But it's the reward of when you make a movie, you take a risk, of course. You don't know if it's going to work. But I've made five movies and, a, and a, a worked on a TV show since then. And it, it, each one has its own. It feels like you've given birth to a, a baby that is out in the world and will always be. So it's it's been a really um, rewarding experience uh, uh, on that level, artistically, I guess. You know, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't change a thing in that way. Um, that's amazing. And um, there's a lot of risk-taking, of course, with, um, <laughs> with everything. And very much the ropes. <laughs> yes, very much. Sounds like an, um, like, you know, an entrepreneurial journey. Um, you have to seek funding. You have to build a team. Um, yeah. What, what was that like, particularly when you kept going back and forth between the U.S. and Jordan. Um, sure. Well, what, 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 what did that look like? Uh, well, back in 2005, um, when I got the call that I got into AFI, uh, which was April 2005, I quit my day job that, that same day, uh, my telecom job, and I basically started thinking, okay, the next two years I'm going to be in film school, I better come out of film school ready to make my first feature. And in fact, it, it, even I, my ambition was naively that I would make my feature in that summer between my first and second year because I felt like I had missed out on that those, that two-year journey. Of course, making a movie is not that quick. You need a lot of time to raise the money and do all that. So, But I started writing uh, what would become my first feature film, originally titled... Under the Tree, Over the Ocean, a, a cheesy, absurdly ridiculous title, but it became Captain Abu Ra'ed. And, um, and even the first draft of that script was very, like, vomit-inducing. So, uh, but, but you have to start somewhere with the draft and, and you keep searching for the movie while you're writing it, you know, and rewriting it. Yeah. So in the two years while I was at AFI, I rewrote the script over and over and over and um, in collaboration with my mother, who lived in Jordan, continues to live in Jordan, uh, we made a business plan to start raising funding from private investors in Jordan. And the 
you know, there hadn't been a film industry in Jordan at the time. So it was kind of a both a negative and a definitely a positive. The negative is there's nothing to there's no resources to 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 rely on. The positive is it's an opportunity. And where there's a, a gap, there's an opportunity. And at the time, this is before the crash of the 2008 market and the, you know, things were still budding and booming. And so there was an opportunity that we could raise money for private investors. We went to Hassam um, Salfiti, first of all, who became kind of the leader. And we formed a company with Hassam. He, 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 you know, he, he's the head of the Union Bank and he had a love, famously in Jordan, a love for the arts and 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 um, architecture and music and all that. And so we made a case for really starting a film industry in Jordan. That was kind of the dream. So we started the company we called Paper and Pen Films, and we got a group of investors we went to. Not everyone said, yes, I'm in. But the short of it is, you know, for every three or four investors that we pitched to, we got one, which is a pretty good success rate in that kind of scenario. But we made... Um, presentation and and uh, I had with me producer David Pritchard uh from LA who you met uh, Marissa yeah. he 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 was the kind of a Don Quixote kind of character who's like bigger than life he gives you this illusion of dream and he empowers you by telling you yes you can do this and these bigger than like ambitious dreams and it takes a certain naivety to believe in them because that's what you need to kind of have this uh, ridiculous belief that we can build an industry. You know, it's it's now I look back, I'm like, gosh, it's so like it took a mountain to 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 make it happen. But um, but David did that, and and I had with me also Leith Majali, who was also my editor on the film. And so the three of us with my mother, we kind of concocted this this movie, um, um, and um, and so we formed paper and pen films with Islam and a group of some 20, some investors from Jordan, each put somewhere between 50 to a hundred thousand. And, um, and we raised a, a, a million and a half in Jordan. And then the rest we got from the U S for the budget of the movie. And then we made the movie and then that kind of got its premiere at uh, initial, like pre-finished premiere at Dubai but we we shot it in the summer of 2007 and then premiered it at Sundance in 2008. And once it won the audience award at Sundance, the journey was like automatic at that point. Everybody wanted to see the movie and get it in their festivals. Oh. We got theatrical release and blah, 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 blah. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, I actually remember um, the pre-production years because the buzz was so big uh, in Amman. Like, you know, it was... Uh, it was such an amazing vibe because I was, you know, on the uh, obviously I was I wasn't in part of the, any any of the film industry, but trying to st- trying to follow local film festivals and documentaries and shorts that were trying to people trying to to do some uh, something in that field. Of course, the technology back in the '90s and early 2000s wasn't wasn't that great, and access to that in Jordan was was pretty limited. When you say XL XL one camera back then, and I remember it was like, oh my god, someone has an XL one. What? Can you rent it? How much? How many thousands of JDs do you have to pay to rent it out? You know, it was crazy. Yeah. Uh, for, but but for you, it's like um, I wanted to ask you, how was it be, first being your, your it, w- it was your first feature film, but doing it in a it was almost like the country's first feature film at the same time. 
Yeah. Uh, I know it's, there yeah. was one in, like, from the 60s probably, but this is like, uh, I felt it was creating the, the industry as you went along. Like there was need yeah. there was creating demand for extras and, and the culture of being on set was, was sort of come out into the open, which wasn't really there. Uh, yeah. What did you yeah. feel when, when all that was kind of happening in Jordan? Well, I could tell you what we did is we brought all the department heads from uh, uh, the, mostly from the U.S. So we brought so that we we treated it as an experience to learn uh, how to make movies in the Middle East. But I remember the first day when I arrived, you know, we would be done all this location scouting and casting all the kids from the different refugee camps and uh, all the workshops and, you know, all the different things that we were doing to build and bringing in all this equipment from the U.S. It was it was. Now I have like this, like goosebumps thinking about that feeling of the excitement, like you're saying, the excitement of we're doing something big. And it felt like, you know what it felt like? It felt like it was inevitable. It felt like it was this thing, this ship, we're all going on a quest, you know? And uh, and then I remember the first day of production when all this preparation that we had spent, you know, months and months of of leading up to... And then the first day of filming, which the first day of filming was at, at the top of the hill of the Citadel. And you remember getting there like 6 a.m. and seeing all these trucks and all these crew members and all, all the people on the top of the hill. And I just felt like throwing up. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, my God, this is terrifying. I have the next four weeks now. There's no turning back. The ship is sailing into the ocean of unknowns. And, you know, making a movie is these variables of everything that could go wrong will go wrong. And it did during the making of the movie. And it's about surviving the marathon and keeping the ship together. It's like you're sailing into the ocean and pieces of the ship keep falling out and you're kind of finding ways to make up for those changes. You know, you lose locations People get angry uh, that you're filming in their neighborhood. Uh, fights break up. It was like, it was insane. Um, but there was a spirit of joy in everybody on this film because it was it was a unique new experience from everyone, from Nadim Sawalha, who was like our captain. You know, he was, it was a voyage back home. He had been living in London for the last 50 years. And this was his his first time as the lead in a film and and you know he'd always played small parts in in other movies and he was a, a well-known theater actor but as like the guy from Madaba you know and yeah. uh and it was a, a journey back home and it was for the kids it was a new experience and there was this, like this I don't know there were people visiting the sets and Catherine Bigelow came and visited the set when we were filming and she ended up shooting the Hurt Locker like two weeks after ours because she Basically, all our local crew became her crew on that film. And, and Costa Gavras came and visited. I mean, it was just like a really cool, wow. terrifying experience. But you, yeah. you, you know, you get off on the adrenaline of, of this. Yeah. And, and you, at a certain point, you hit a flow where you're communicating with the actors, and in most cases, non-actors, first-time actors, with non-verbal communication. Because you've done the prep. You know, it's all about being prepared for mistakes, for, for things to go wrong, and then improvising and following your instincts, you know? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Um, so now you've sort of, you know, we've taken you on um, on a journey backwards to like tell us how it all started. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are, are about where we are today 
in this industry, not only in Jordan, but in the region. I'm sure you're um, plugged into that scene and you're seeing all these um, new movies and film festivals. I mean, I don't know if there is a city in the region that does not have a film festival at this point. <laughs> yeah, there, 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 I think at one point there was like an oversaturation of Gulf film festivals right. between Dubai and Abu Dhabi and now Saudi and Doha and, uh, and yeah. now we have Amman film festival. Um, I am, I, because I live in LA, I, I don't come to Amman as much as I would like to to be like on the inside, but I see the things, you know, over social media and on Facebook. So my perspective is, is different, but what is exciting is, is since captain, um, you know, we've had the became the Jordan's uh, actual Oscar nominee. Uh, captain didn't get the nomination. Deep got the nomination yeah. and Deep was written and produced by Basil Randur, who was my assistant on captain Abu Ra'ed, you know, and uh, not to, to give myself any credit to, to that, it was all Basil's, you know, uh, and Basil's father was one of our investors on Captain. So it's all like incestuous in a certain way. But, but you know, Naji Abu Nawar made his film. And I remember when, long before we made Captain Abu Ra'ed, Naji, who made, who directed the Naji yeah. had a short film uh, about a boxer that he was pitching around when I was um, pitching Captain Abu Ra'ed. And we were both kind of, growing together at the same time. And since then, uh, you know, Deeb has gone worldwide distribution and uh, recently Basil's uh, directorial, feature directorial debut, uh, The Alleys, has, uh, Al-Hara, uh, has gone on to play at Locarno and the various festivals around the world. And um, and there's Hanadi Alayan's film, uh, Selma's House, also a small budget local, that was her UCLA uh, thesis feature project that she also did. Nama, now it's on Netflix and in the region. And uh, who else? There's Zid Abu Hamdan. I haven't seen his film, but but he has a film. So there's like a lot of guys and girls doing. You know, of course you have Anne Marie Jasser who makes Palestinian films, but she's in Jordan. And you have uh, Najwa Najjar, and there's you know various others. Um, so there's. You know, it's definitely budding. And of course, we have all these productions that come to Jordan to shoot the big, the Dune and the Star Wars and the Star Trek, I think. And, you know, all these various Hollywood films Aladdin. and Korean films and Aladdin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's every success story feeds the greater good. And there's more than one crew that you can go to. Uh, of course, um, after Captain, when I came back to do The United, which was the Disney film, uh, mm -hmm. I, we filmed the United two and a half years after Captain. I only brought my cinematographer, my first AC, there was the camera focus puller, and a Steadicam operator from the US. Everybody else was local, Jordanian. Mm -hmm. So within the span of two and a half years, the local crew had become very tenured in, in, in the short time. Yeah. And now I think you could just bring everybody local. I mean, it's just, you don't need anyone yeah. from out. It's it's all, and that's pretty amazing to watch. Yeah, and and you shot also another uh, feature, uh, partly in Jordan, the Rendezvous, correct? Yeah, the Rendezvous, which your wife had a little role in, Jana. <laughs> yeah. She played uh, an interrogation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, opposite. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah Stana, Stana Kerich. Yeah, that was that was fun to watch. Have you? Yeah, I, I recommend uh, you guys uh, download it, uh, buy it from. Uh, I've not oh, seen I got it from. I actually got it on. Uh, I think Amazon Prime. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was yeah, on Showtime. You can, get it, you can get it on streaming, yeah, a couple of, you know. It's on Peacock yeah. right now in the U.S. Uh, nice. Yeah, yeah, um, The Rendezvous was a very uh, crazy production because we were trying to make a, a, a $20 million movie on a $3.5 million budget. So it was like, okay, where do you make up for some things? Originally, the script was like filmed all over the world. It was like starts in in the U.S., San Francisco, and then it goes to uh, London, and then it goes to Egypt, and then it goes to Spain, and then it goes to Jerusalem. And I, when when the producer approached me to direct this movie with the $3.5 million budget, I was like, okay, well, what if we just cast some internationals and film the whole thing in L.A. and in Jordan? And we rewrote the scripts, and, um, oh. and uh, it was... Uh, but the key to that, I think, was the charm of the film and the chemistry between Stana and Raza, our two leads, and Stana carries this film beautifully, brilliantly. I just watched it again for the first time. I wasn't completely thrilled with everything when we filmed it. You know, there's some B-movie elements in it, but then now, having had some distance from it, I went back and watched it. I'm like, oh, this is really charming. And it, it, it all culminates, you know, starts in LA and then goes to Amman, and then it and then it goes into Wadi Rum. We filmed across Wadi Rum, and then it culminates in Petra. And uh, the big showdown we filmed in Petra at like magic hour. So we took advantage of the locations that are the, so majestic to film in, in Amman. But yeah, you know, it's a, it was a difficult time in my life personally at that time too. But but the movie becomes its own thing, you know. And uh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... The uh, the film industry in Jordan uh, is obviously dwarfed by like the Egyptian, let's say, film industry. Egypt has been doing this for nearly a century, but now that the streaming services are are trying to enter, you know, different markets and, and they have budgets, maybe not as big, not big budgets. But uh, what do you think uh, the streaming uh, services are going to do for the MENA region? I mean, any what's your perspective on that? Yeah, my understanding of it is that it's primarily dominated by Saudi and Egypt at the moment. Saudi is the the budding, well, more than budding at the moment. It's the mammoth in the room uh, because they have this newborn commitment to theatrical movies and uh, uh, audiences are hungry and starving for content. So I I believe the, or I perceive that the focus right now is is really dominating the Saudi is like the, the Gulf is the dominant presence of opportunity as far as the streamers are concerned. Jordan is still a small market compared in, in yeah. size and Lebanon is in a very difficult situation at the moment. So I think they're focused on that. Uh, and of course, Egypt will always be, you know, Egypt is the heart of the Middle Eastern cinema. Um, so I think our struggle as a Jordanian um, uh, uh, sector is always going to be the same, competing with these other things. But I think the, the, the brilliant thing about Jordan as a place is the salad or melting pot or whatever you want to call it, that it is culturally authentic in, in, or, and organically it keeps growing and giving, giving voice to local filmmakers and um and but i think the struggle is not going to get easier there's maybe more avenues to get films through streaming but um but i we're we're at the in the same breath we're also competing with the gulf in for streamers attention you know so i don't know if they have their eye on jordan obviously we made that 
show Jin, which I was not the creator. I was a director on the show. But, um, you know, there was like this curiosity that, oh, could this be the, 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 the beginning of streaming shows in Jordan? And there was the, uh, what's the other one? The Banat, Madrasat al-Banat. Yeah. Yeah, and so, and I think they're doing season two now. So there's still kind of interest in that. Um, but uh, we'll see. You know, things change is the only constant. So um, I want to ask a quasi-philosophical question about why film? Why, why, why choose to go in, into, into that in the first place? Not just you as Amin, but why should we... Why should we care about the industry and why should the region invest in it? Oh, that's my, that's the best question. Um, uh, you know, in the Middle East, you, you, you see like people say, oh, why art? Why, you know, art is like so, I mean, actually it's everywhere, but more so in the Middle East in a very conservative environment, right? Uh, so why music? Why is this important? Why is music important? Why is film important? It's just entertainment. But we need stories to make sense of the world around us. We need stories and, and we need books. We need more writers. We need more voices expressing. I, I think it's so undermined the need to make sense of the world around you, the world of imagination, the world of uh, storytelling to, to relate, to give hope, to give voice to, to, um, to the conflicts inside us, to express yourself, to find hope for something else to live for, not just the newspaper and the daily obituaries and the, uh, and the, and the, and the politics that are very toxic. If you, you know, you see people so, so often in the Middle East uh, and even in the U.S. as well, so caught up in the right versus left and right and versus wrong and how we need stories to escape from the realities of life, to survive and to make sense of life, to relate to life in ways that are not so direct and to find our inner, the, the inner, it's not a luxury, it's a necessity, mm. you know, and you know, some people don't care to watch movies. That's fine. But we need movies. We, it's not, you know, it's not for everything. We need movies as much as we need food. We need movies. as Not, not, not only uh, Hollywood films to, to entertain us and take our minds away, but we need our own stories. We need our own yeah. uh, voice culturally as, an, as, an, as something local, but also as an export. It creates communication and perception of, you know, I've seen audiences watch Captain Abu Ra'id. By design, that film was not, there was zero politics, zero religion mm -hmm. in that film. And I've seen that film travel around the world and have people in Japan or in Europe or in the U.S. relate to this, these human characters in ways that they never even expected. They just went in blindly into this festival and they came out of this film feeling like I just connected with someone that's completely foreign. Their language is completely foreign to me. And I feel like that's my neighbor, you know. Um, and I remember uh, a, a screening I had in in uh, in Dallas, in Texas. Uh, this after the film, this woman came crying after the film, and she was so emotional. And she said, "This this was my story, not that I plagiarized her story, but this was like I was abused as a kid, and I there was someone in my life that made the difference in my life." And she was so emotional. 
connecting with that and she was seeing a variation on her life in a movie set in Amman. Right. And she's from Texas, you know. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we need dreams. We need hope. We need hope. Hope is, all, it's all about hope, you know. Yeah. If you don't have hope, you have nothing. Yeah. That's Thank the you bottom that. line. And movies give us that, you know. Um, I like um, what you also said about sense-making or meaning-making because that's um, that's so important. We start reading books and telling stories to our children um, to pass on our values, right? And and to make, yeah. make sense of who we are and how we relate to our parents and grandparents and cousins and the world around us. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, and we need to laugh too, you know? It's like, uh, you know, you can have serious movies and you can have comedies. Even silly comedies are important, you know? Silly comedies are very important. You need to laugh. You need to remember that hum being human is about, it's not about uh, being mired in conflict all the time. You need to release, you know? And so, yeah, I, I fight for storytelling. I mean, it's it's my struggle daily uh you know to serve for my own survival you know i i battled with this idea like okay you're not a comfortable financially but you're you try to explain to the world that this is important i'm committed i've committed my life to this you know you make a, one movie every two to three years to get a movie made but it's worth it like when i'm older if i live to whatever age i live i want to look back and say I made something that gave somebody at some point in their life two hours that they said, I feel a connection with this fictional character. And I and it made it made me think about or feel something, you know. Mm -hmm. Um I mean as a as a director, as a writer, producer, um what's your creative outlet in between working on films? Is it, is it writing? Is it, is it putting ideas and stories on paper? And what, what advice would you give to young writers, directors in the, in the MENA region uh, in terms of going into this field, whether it's writing, directing films, shorts, TV, series? Yeah. Um, so my outlet is for every movie that I've made, I've written 10 movies. <laughs> so I'm always writing. When I'm not directing or, or in post-production on a production, I'm either writing or rewriting the millionth draft of a script that may or may not work. Sometimes they just don't. And you keep looking for trying to make them better and they don't always work. You just have to keep searching. Uh, and, you know, of course, music is my escape, uh, film music. I'm a big film music nerd and, and I thrive on, uh, just being present and living and, you know, having my own daughter and my family and just being present because you can also get caught up in your sense of escapism. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm different than I was 10 years ago and that I really am more present than I used to be. I used to be like, and I, of course, reading lots of books and I'm always <laughs> trying to fight for time to read as well. So the, that's a, um, which reading to inspire my imagination, reading to kind of reflect on life and the history and the passage of time and the mortality and mortality and, and the human conflict and relativity of how good times are compared to the past where 
you know, human humanity was so savage to one another. Anyways, um, my advice to uh, young or aspiring filmmakers or struggling filmmakers is just keep focused on the process. It's the process of learning and staying inspired and find a way to survive financially while keeping, uh, uh, protecting your time, whether it's two hours a day or four hours a day to be creative. Keep focused on process. If you want to write, write every day and read uh, every day. You have to read, you have to feed your mind and feed your soul from whatever interests you, you know, and, and keep uh, learning and being present and keep exploring your, uh, and it's easier for anyone to make films than ever before. You could just make them on your phone now and uh, you can edit on your phone. I edit on my phone all the time. Actually, my daughter is a big subject of my own entertainment by filming her constantly. Um, so, so, you know, and, and watch films, but don't just watch a movie, watch a movie, and then watch it again with the with the sound turned off. Really watch it actively, not passively. Uh, listen to commentaries. Read books about filmmaking. Read uh, there's a plethora of interviews and 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 material on YouTube that you have access to that you didn't have access to 15 years ago uh, or 10 years ago. Um, there's just a wealth of information, but be focused on the process, and the rewards will come as as a byproduct of the process you know just learn and grow and collaborate and make friends that inspire you and you're it, it takes a family to make a movie and with each uh member of that family you will grow in a certain way and you will inspire each other and have fun doing it um you know, it's not always fun when you're filming and someone else's kind of dime is, is telling you like, oh, no, change this. You don't want to do that. But it's about give and take, you know. And so it's about collaboration. Thank you, Amin. That's really good yeah. advice. Um, hmm. I like to focus on the process because we're, I don't know, maybe it's human nature to always focus on the destination all the time without really enjoying that journey. So... Thanks for bringing us back to that and for your advice. Um, yeah, it's all it's about the small victories, you know. If you write if you have a miserable writing day today, maybe tomorrow you'll have a good writing day. And it's like don't get so caught up and frustrated because today sucked. Tomorrow might be better and maybe tomorrow will be just as bad, but then the day after, but by doing it every day repeatedly, eventually the 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 compound interest of the process will eventually lead to good things, you know. Yeah. And invite criticism and take criticism and learn by by doing, you know. Learn by doing, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, thank you so much for um, being our first guest uh, to focus on this um, sector in, in the MENA region. Um, um, I, I'm pretty sure our um, audience will enjoy... Um, the journey, the whole journey, um, and we'll probably pick up Captain Abu Raed and and United. The United was pretty cool. I also watched that. Um, <laughs> and uh, but also some of the the other films that you mentioned. Um, the progress is really uh, amazing. It's it's quite inspiring um, just to also see a lot of women entering that sector. Um, so thank you for um, taking that risk. Um, you know, fifteen years ago. And thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, thanks. I, I think 
the risk would have been the, the real risk would have been to just do nothing really honestly the real risk would have been to to do nothing and let the time pass and sit back and just live in regret inside you know the, that was the I think if you have it in you then it's worth exploring you only live once so Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks, Amin. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Good to see you. Great time. Thanks so much for This podcast is funded by a grant from the United States Department of State. The opinions, findings, and conclusions of this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State. Mm-hmm.